Welcome back to the show. Welcome. This podcast is for you. I have been waiting for you. So thank you for being here. I just played guitar and sang for the first time in a while. And I have to say it felt so good. It always does. And especially lately, I've been putting it off and have just kind of been feeling some blocks around music and just wanting to play. But whenever I do, it feels so good. Just having that air and that movement moving through my body. I've been thinking a lot lately about how important it is to just release all that stuck energy in our bodies whether that's through movement, through breath, yoga, crying, walking, singing. There are so many things we can do to move through our all this energy and emotion that gets stuck in our body. And in today's episode, I talk with my friend Kaylee of KPH and the Canary Collective. That's her band, and it's also her activism collective. I talk with Kaylee about sound healing and healing through music, which is something I'm really, really interested in. And we also talk about her recent experience with shamanic healing. So this conversation is a really great one. But before we get into it, a few things. If you're listening to this podcast, then I'm thinking you probably enjoy genuine, real conversations. If so, I think that you will also like Hey Human podcast. I recently got to connect with the host, Susan Ruth. She's also an artist and musician and does many different things. And in her podcast, she really shines a light on human spirit. She interviews people who have done and experienced extraordinary things. And even through the dark times, this podcast shines light on the bright side of humanity. So open up your podcast app, whatever you're listening on right now, and be sure to subscribe to Hey Human Podcast. Okay, so if you listened to the last episode in which I talked about my adventure touring through Brazil, I mentioned some bright lights that we saw moving across the sky, and I'm here to report that unfortunately it was not aliens. I'm really sorry to let you down. But it was, in fact, something called Starlink, which I believe is a string of satellites or something. I have a friend who works at SpaceX, shout out to Marvin, who let me know that this was, in fact, Starlink. 
and not aliens. But we can all still believe in aliens if we want to, okay? Now, before we get into this conversation, I just wanted to let you know that all of these episodes, including this one, are available on YouTube. So you can actually watch the conversation and see me talking to my guests, see our expressions, which I feel like is such a something we really take for granted now that we're walking around with masks on and everyone's wearing a mask. It's really made me miss being able to like smile at people and share that, you know, just facial expression. So check out the episode on YouTube. And without further ado, here we go. This is my conversation with Kaylee Pruitt-Ham. Welcome to Bloom with Chelsea Rose. I'm so excited to have you here, Kaylee. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Snowy Colorado. So gorgeous. And so I would love to just jump right into it. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what kind of work that you do? Yeah, my name's Kaylee Pruitt-Han, and I know Chelsea Rose through the music and activist scene in Los Angeles. I am a community organizer and musician, and I perform and organize events under the name KPH, my initials, and the Canary Collective, because I was working in the nonprofit field and working as an environmental lobbyist in Washington, D.C. when I fell very ill from mysterious illness when I was 25 years old. And when doctors in the Western medical field couldn't diagnose what was going on and were just calling it autoimmune, I started to explore the definition of autoimmune versus actually believing what was going on in my body as a potential potentially being influenced by environmental uh, toxins and different things that are going on with a lot of people's bodies in this modern world. And so I wanted to create a community of artful activists who are raising our voices in the name of raising awareness about what's going on with our earth's ecosystems and what's going on with our body's ecosystems as canaries in the coal mine, which are feeling the toxic effects. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you've built this canary collective, like giving, giving those folks a place to come together and relate to one another, relate to one another and act on it and make a difference. And so I I would love to hear a little bit about your backstory. Like, where did you grow up? What was life like before this all happened to you versus after? Yeah, Um, I I was... um the daughter of some hippie parents. <laughs> I think we <laughs> who like play folk music. So I think that we have that in common. Um, I don't know if your parents are hippies, but I know they're talented musicians. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're um, somewhat hippie, I guess. Could say. <laughs> I think I'm more hippie than they are at this point, but <laughs> yeah, our generation is going through a unique time, <laughs> but um, so were they in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, so 
my family was really progressive, like involved in a lot of activist uh, activities, like anti-nuclear weapon marches and protests. And that's how my parents met in Seattle. And, but when I was born um, 10 years after my sister, uh, they moved to a really, really conservative area in Northeastern Washington state, which is like, has some of the highest numbers of white supremacist groups in the world that gather in that region. And it also happens to be in, it's like the Colville area, um, which is about two hours North of Spokane, Washington. So it's really close to the border of Canada and close to Idaho. It's a very Northeast corner, beautiful place to grow up. I grew up on a mountain. We raised goats and (gasps) pigs and had horses and chickens and dogs. (laughs) So it was a really idyllic, aesthetically childhood, like really beautiful in the foothills. And the view that I had growing up, you know, I'd sit at my piano writing songs at age seven and just look out to the rolling hills and the mountains that we could see Canada from our house and see the Lake Lake Roosevelt, which is part of the Columbia River. But because of the Grand Coulee Dam, I understand it turned into like a lake. Wow. And that history of that region is actually like they've traced some of the oldest, oldest human remains in that area, like thousands of years old. Um, that was like a gathering place for a lot of indigenous American Indian communities to come and it was just so diverse. The ecosystems where there was so much plenty of, of salmon and fish. And, um, it would be this place where so many different tribes came together. And then when the white settlers colonized that part of the country, there's not only horrific, um, genocide of native American people, but there was also horrific hand in hand with that came the, the genocide of the ecosystems and the dam was put in place and it completely changed the amount of fish and all of the ecosystems. So it's still beautiful. I grew up in a beautiful place, but with that history and then the current climate of so many white settlers or majority white people that we were growing up around who have this animosity towards people of color. Mm. I think it was a very unique place to grow up as an activist feeling like, wow, this yeah. country is kind of messed up. <laughs> and so were you aware of that history when you were growing up there or is that something that you learned later on? Um, I'm learning more later on in life, but it, I had the juxtaposition of like my parents trying to teach me about that. And we would, ever since I was a little girl, like for the summer camp, we would go to like anti-racism workshops and like try to learn about that and how to be allies who are taking down the systems of um, oppression, like as U.S. citizens with so much privilege to like use our privilege to lobby members of Congress and uh, against like bombing foreign countries like the Middle East and Um, but in school, then when I was in the public school system, like I had teachers who would say like, Jesus will hate you if you have sex before marriage. And like, they would like require us to say the pledge of allegiance and talk about the history of the United States and the Oregon trail and everything from such a different perspective. I think I was kind of thinking about the history of the region, but I also just had all the pressures of like 
all of my mentors and teachers and peers having a very different analysis of what was going on. Yeah. Wow. So you really like grew up with that duality or you're aware of that duality from a young age. It sounds I like, guess, I guess that's so I, that's, I mean, whether you were aware of it or not, you were surrounded by these, this duality, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that that shaped how I think about activism now, because I, I, I had a lot of best friends who were in Republican families and just what's going on with our country now, I think about how the, you know, you wonder like, how can someone possibly be <laughs> And I know we're trying to, we welcome people of all ideologies and politics in this podcast, I'm sure. But um, in my personal opinion, it's hard to imagine someone who can look at the president that we have, President Donald Trump, who is openly embracing white supremacy in certain ways and to be behind that, but to like be able to see how someone could get to that place with the education system that we have mm -hmm. in our school and everything. And just think, how can we, without shutting one another out? Mm. Cause I didn't have the option of just shutting everyone out. I had to find a way of like still having friends and having dialogue, especially from like, from white people to white people talking about yeah. race and how to call one another in. Yeah. Movement. And that's part of what I love about your activism. Like the vibe that I get from you is very welcoming. And I think that's really important is to like welcome people in, um, to learning and to discussion rather than judging and like setting people apart. I think that's, that's really important. And that's something that like, I am still learning, you know? And so Thanks. I'd love to ask you, um, so when you got sick, like how did that all start and what was that? Yeah. That was a whole journey for you. What was that experience like? Yeah. Um, I try to make this story as short as possible, but I actually have, I was having health symptoms, like health issues since I was about six years old, but it culminated in a huge catastrophic level when I was 25. So it's been a really long journey. Um, but when I was a little kid, I, I actually started to get strep throat all the time where I would get like strep throat infections, like seven times a year accompanied by a fever of like a hundred, 304 and throwing up and vomiting like, oh through gosh. a strep throat. And I missed so much school. I, I probably had like the worst attendance record throughout my entire school time <laughs> um, of anyone. I remember hearing that. And so I was sick a lot and we were, and then I started to get like pain in my hands and elbows and wrists and a lot of issues with yeast infections um, vaginally and like systemically and a lot of TMJ, just like pain in every joint basically. And so I was diagnosed with rheumatoid, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, but doctors said that it would probably, I would grow out of it and just IBS and TMJ and all these little things that doctors kept on like kicking the can down the road and um, not really understanding the root cause because mm. when you come in with so many different symptoms in all the different areas of your body, it um, 
the medical system is kind of trained to just be siloed and just, for, okay, well, I'm sending you to a hand specialist and okay, I'm sending it to a gut specialist, right. as you know. But once I hit age 25, <laughs> um, there were just a number of things that I think spiritually, emotionally, and physically were those straws on the camel's back. And I, I got a bug bite like when I was six and I, you know, the doctor said, there's no way that you have Lyme disease. Lyme disease is really rare, but it was like a tick bite in the back of my head. And that's kind of one of the triggers potentially to my overall illness was like Lyme disease is an aspect of it that was missed for a long time. But I got another bug bite when I was in West Virginia and I had just gotten a job in Washington, DC. And I was like kayaking with my coworkers in 2014 and that bug bite swelled to like the size of a ping pong ball in the back of my neck. And my lymph nodes were so swollen, like rock hard in my neck. And I obviously had this like huge immune response. I was, I woke up that night after the bug bite, like in my apartment in DC, like with the sheets completely soaked in sweat, I was having night sweats. Um, and then I was like working at my desk, like a, my window to the Senate office buildings in DC, like loving my job, but I would be like tears would be streaming down my face because it hurt so badly to hold like my head on my neck and to type like my hands were hurting so bad. And I was so sensitive to light. Like I was driving around the country in rental cars, giving workshops to young kids on how to convince members of Congress that all of the different manifestations of climate change that were happening in their communities, it's like extreme blizzards in Buffalo, New York, and the oyster industry being ruined in Louisiana, and an inordinate amount of droughts and fires in California, they were bringing these stories through like handmade cards and in-person meetings as, as kids two members of Congress convincing them that climate change is, is happening and <laughs> something needs to happen. And meanwhile, all of these storms and symptoms of climate crisis inside my body were happening. And so I was driving, like giving these workshops and like, I had to like use my left foot to like push the accelerator on the car because my right ankle was so swollen and I had to like squint because the headlights in front of me were like so bright. Um, and it just hurt my eyes so bad. Like, and I was having ringing in my ears. Then I started to have the strep throat again, where I just like could not swallow, could not talk. So there are all these little, all these big symptoms that are very difficult to ignore that were getting in the way of me living my life just like people are feeling now, a lot of people are feeling symptoms that are impossible to ignore of climate change of, okay, well now my house is burnt down. Like that's pretty hard to just ignore. And okay. Like I can't make any money anymore as an oyster fisherman. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, and all of these symptoms though, we are being gaslit by literally by the gas and oil companies and fossil fuel industry like Chevron knew for the last 40 years that fossil fuel projects carried on the way they are. They did the science. They knew that 
it's going to raise temperatures to dangerous levels and we're going to have all kinds of catastrophic consequences. And they still went forward with their projects that they had invested in and invested millions of dollars into marketing campaigns that would silence voices, raising voices of concern saying, "Uh Oh, like we shouldn't do this. Like what about climate change? And they're systematically trying to delegitimize and say, no, those fires are a fluke or no, these fires are what's supposed to happen. Like wildfires are natural or like, no, it's rising tides don't exist. Or like having our president say things like it's, what do you mean global warming? There's snow. (laughs) So it seems that that's part of your life's work is to like bring light and truth to the global crises that we're having. And so do you attribute the, the illness you were experiencing to the climate as well? I think that obviously we're on a planet earth. So everything is connected to what's going on with earth, but in a more literal sense, like I was living in a house at the time that I fell really ill because it was the cheapest rent I could find because we're living in, you know, a a time when it's really difficult to afford housing. Um, It was the cheapest rent I could find. And the way that we've like built houses in the last century is like with really toxic building materials. And then like our water system is really toxic. And I think it, weighs on everyone's bodies in different ways. And maybe some people can handle smoking a pack a day of cigarettes and they won't get lung cancer, but some people are sensitive and, you know, (laughs) I was sensitive and like the water coming out was like brown and moldy tasting in the house that I was living in. And when there was like a moth infestation in the kitchen, the landlord like called the cheapest exterminating company that they could find. And they like blasted the kitchen with toxic um, pesticides. And after that point, like I got my sickest where my, my body just reacted so strongly to those petrochemicals that were being used. Um, And my throat started closing up and I was having like neurological symptoms, um, which like those pesticides basically do to a way smaller degree to our bodies, what they're doing to bugs, you know, Mm -hmm. like if you have a bee's nest, you spray it and those bees get like paralyzed and it's like a neurotoxin for them and, and toxic to their liver and everything, but we're just larger. So it doesn't necessarily affect us the same way we don't die, but all these pesticides that are in, you know, the glyphosate and the DDT, um, the DEET that is like round up in our food system and everything is like slowly killing us. Yeah. <laughs> like we're bees. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it seems like you're very aware of all the, the full spectrum of, of everything that affects our bodies and our health and how all of that is tied together. And so, and you were bedridden for like a few years, right? Yeah. So after that, just my, I obviously couldn't work anymore. Um, for like three or four years, most days of the week, I couldn't 
like sit upright in a chair longer than like five minutes a day. I couldn't keep my eyes open. Um, I haven't been able to read a book in six years uh, very easily, like maybe here and there I have, but it, it is excruciating um, with my optic nerve, my eyes, something going on. Um, but what I found now that I've worked with holistic, naturopathic or environmental medicine, functional medicine practitioners, which is a different wave of medicine besides the Western medicine view of like, okay, pound it out with antibiotics or <laughs> like put a bandaid on it or doing surgery, which all is, can be incredibly important and helpful. But when they're multi-systemic issues, sometimes it helps to work with holistic doctors. And they say that there's this like rising trend of, especially women getting diagnosed with autoimmune diseases. Now it's a approximated that one out of two, 50%, about 45% of Americans have been or will be diagnosed with a chronic illness, um, mostly autoimmune disease. 45%. Yes. And autoimmune, isn't that sort of just like a blanket term Yeah, for like a lot of different things? Yeah. And, and I think that that is been the biggest thing for me to wrap my head around because I now have been exposed to like the mind body connection and how much we do have a lot of like when people have trauma, like a history of sexual assault, which I also do, um, your body can get in a fight or flight response and kind of have a readiness to react in an inflammatory way to whatever it interprets as a threat Mm-hmm. And we do, we can have the power to heal so that we're not reacting in an inflammatory way to even these real toxins and real viruses um, and infections and pathogens. So it's kind of like a mind bend to acknowledge that at the same time as saying it would be really hard to just tell one of those bees that is being exposed to pesticides to like think positive thoughts and not react to that toxin. Yeah. So with autoimmune disease, the autoimmune definition is like, for example, if you have, um, Sjogren's I think, or like thyroid autoimmune condition, um, the Western medical view of saying that's an autoimmune disease is saying that we're seeing a lot of inflammation near your thyroid tissue, um, or actually I'll, I'll say a simpler one for myself. I have a, di- a diagnosis of interstitial cystitis and endometriosis, which are just names for, there's a lot of inflammation and pain going on in your pelvic region and your bladder. And so it means that I have to pee like eight times a night that it hurts to pee just constantly for years that it, my periods like are really, really, really painful, mm-hmm. um, and they don't know why they, the doctors say, uh, that's just inflammation for one reason or another. And the only solution is to slice you open from your stomach and scrape out the tissue that's inflamed. But like, if it's autoimmune, that's your body attacking tissue in your body, your immune system, just like the, like your immune system is little soldiers that are like at on guard, like mm-hmm. I'm going to attack this tissue and it, like it's enemy tissue, but they're not finding any pathogens or toxins that they're defining as enemy. 
So they're saying your body is fighting your tissue for no reason. So the only answer to autoimmune disease is to either like scrape out the tissue that it's naming as enemy territory and, or give you steroids that quell your immune response and put your soldiers to sleep on the battlefield. And because it's saying your, your body isn't under attack. Your body is overreacting in anger. There's no reason. And I, maybe there, that maybe that is true. Maybe there's truth to that, that, and maybe it can really be helpful for a lot of people who have autoimmune disease. They need to take steroids and things that are immunosuppressant because there is that feedback loop of inflammation. So I'm not saying that people should not <laughs> follow their doctor's orders. I'm not a doctor. Um, but in my experience, it's been extremely liberating and I've actually gained so much healing and functionality back in my body by working with functional medicine doctors and even shamanic practitioners. Yeah. And, and I'd love to ask you more about that. Cause yeah, it seems that you've been exploring these different kinds of healing. What is functional medicine? Functional medicine is like a holistic view of healing, looking at someone's housing, their environment, their diet, their lifestyle of exercise, their emotional trauma, their spiritual health, um, even past life work, <laughs> which I did not used to believe in. So th- just to throw a wrench in things, even more <laughs> like a paradigm shift for me was realizing that there may be some emotional and spiritual underpinnings of my illness that are very subconscious And it doesn't mean that the physical infections and toxins aren't real and that I don't also have to have medicine, um, like antiviral herbs have been extremely helpful, recognizing Mm. that I have Epstein-Barr virus chronically, that Lyme disease medicine, um, like anti-parasitic medicine, which a lot of us have when you get your body out of balance to go on a diet that reduces the amount of toxins you're exposed to by eating organic, et cetera. But also I was having like the sore throat issue and the strep throat, like consistently where my tongue would swell. Um, anytime I was exposed to like perfumes and someone who just walked in the room who had just showered with herbal essences, shampoo or something, Mm -hmm. um, my throat would like start to close and I wouldn't be able to open my eyes and I would stutter. Like I was like being poisoned with neurotoxins. And there's a Harvard doctor who's a functional medicine doctor, um, who's a, an amazing medical doctor and surgeon who his, um, name is Dr. Bernhoft, Robin Bernhoft. And he believes that the reason for chemical sensitivity, like perfume and fragrance sensitivity, like I had, and he had is because the body gets so overwhelmed by petrochemicals and viruses that your liver can't process any more toxins or any hints of toxins. So your body starts to develop these like, no more, no more toxins. And a lot of our everyday products and perfumes and everything actually contain really like carcinogenic cancer causing uh, petrochemicals and petrochemicals are um, from fossil fuels. Like (laughs) we, we have all of these different ways that we use fossil fuels and, and our cleaning products and everything. And the liver, the liver just stops being able to handle all of that. It's buckets full. Wow. Yeah. I've been learning more and more just about 
about all the toxins, like in, in everything in our yeah. food, our clothing, household yeah. items. And it's, and in our water, it's very, um, it's been eye opening, and, yeah. and scary. And, and so I wanted to ask you, like, I'm always just so amazed at your resilience and your ability to create art and continue your, your activism, even as you're facing these health struggles, how do you find hope in those times? Like what keeps you going? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't mean to, uh, be fear mongering. Cause it's like really overwhelming once you start realizing how toxic our world is. And it's like, what do I do? What do I buy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where mm -hmm. can I go? It feels so hopeless. Like climate crises are happening, but, um, I guess I didn't finish about the, like the throat thing. I have come to now be working with, um, more indigenous earth-based, uh, shamanic practices and practitioners who are teaching me about this other way of viewing the planet that, and the human condition that feels so much more hopeful and so much more doable than the like approach to activism and art that I had formerly been taking. For example, I had the, the throat issue and I didn't believe in past lives. I didn't, I thought, Oh, like there's this wave of people calling themselves shamans. And like, you know how a lot of people say like, this is so woo woo. Like I'm saging my house. Like I was never into any of that stuff. Well, I learned that woo woo is actually like a racist slur that was developed to systematically delegitimize indigenous. Um, I think specifically native American ways of healing. Um, and that was like a systematic colonizer tactic, whether it was like the British invading um, First Nations people in America or, you know, British invading Australia and the Aboriginal erasure um, or people taking slaves from Africa and erasing the, the knowledge of mm -hmm. African people, the ways that um, they were using healing and having shamanic medicine people in their communities, it was then replaced with this Judeo Christian, like, no, like you need to have this habit of answering to this like older white man in church. <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. the definition of your reality. And I'm, um, again, there's like, there are a lot of positive things about Christianity and like a lot of positive things. I'm not trying to say that Christianity is evil and that all shamanism is great, but it's been kind of imbalanced um, and going back to a little bit on the end of the spectrum of honoring indigenous wisdom, even in my ancestor line of like, I come from a Celtic background. A lot of my ancestors were Irish and the like witches and <laughs> earth-based practices that were like through burning of witches and colonization of Irish pagan religions, um, and like Norse, uh, sh shamanism that was systematically erased as well. Um, and so a lot of my like returning to Celtic shamanism has been really profound. So one of my doctors, when I wasn't responding to like this focus on like 
having IVs and healing through like physical medicine. I just kept on like, it was my fourth or fifth year of treatment. And I still was like mostly better than still. And they're like, well, sometimes when people just can't get better, like we send them to these Celtic shamans and like, you want to just try that. And I was like, I'm so desperate. So I'm going to just book this session with this Celtic shaman and see what happens. <laughs> and yeah. and so what weird. happened? <laughs> so I had a session where she said, um, the root cause of your like chronic sore throats is partially from your body's cellular memory of many past lives, but a past life in particular in which I was a prophet who was like speaking out um, in like Spain or something in the 1600s or so. And the queen didn't like what I was having to say because it was criticizing the, the regime. And so she ordered my tongue to be cut off. <laughs> and... <sighs> I, it sounded so completely bizarre and who knows if it was a placebo effect or just my imagination that changed things. But then the next day I woke up and like 90% gone, like my sore throats, which I used to have two weeks out of every month, the swollen tongue has, has happened like 90% less since that time. It just happened overnight. And that was just from the knowledge of knowing it. Did you guys do any sort of like cleansing or was there any, anything that went with that knowledge? Yeah. So in, in Celtic shamanism and a lot of shamanic practices around the world, it's not just like the intellectualization and intellectual understanding of something. They believe in energy, the energy actually shifts. So the energy shifted, you can kind of time travel like you can go back in time and change the energy so that the energy doesn't get stuck. And it's very difficult to explain or believe, like, I'm not sure what I believe totally, but it's not just the understanding of that. It is actually something that happens energetically to shift almost like a surgery that like removes mm. something from your body. So I don't know, but that really changed my life. And I've what gives me hope is viewing this wild experience of like being a human on this planet as like potentially just a series of many different lessons that we are here to experience and do the best we can with what we can. If we have past lives, if it's true, um, why would you want to do something in your calling and your vocation that is generic that anyone could do? Why don't you think about the specific gifts that you have? What if I have the next life, I can't sing or I don't like music in the next life, then it would be a waste to not use the voice that I have as much as I can now. And like do music in the way that I really like to do now. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'd love to talk about music too. It's so interesting to having this, this experience with your throat and, mm -hmm. and you being a singer, do you find music to be part of your healing? Like what, what is music to you? What does it mean to you? Um, music is 
changing the way that it means to me because I've started to study with sound healers and reading books. Like there's a book called Healing Sounds by Jonathan Goldman. Um, and it talks about how putting intention of what you want to see in the world or manifest plus sound like exponentially makes it more likely that you will manifest what you want to see in the world, like with the power of music. Why is that? Do you think because it's just like you're taking one vibration and you're adding another vibration to make it more powerful? That's what, (laughs) that's what I imagine. I know it's, it's a good question. I feel like such a hippie in the seventies being like, dude, <laughs> vibes. <laughs> and I, I really cannot believe that I'm talking about this openly and publicly now, but that's just like what having a life-changing illness and like near-death experience pretty much will do <laughs> like to you. But I think, um, what really I've, I've been reading these books and I've been trying to learn from people who are really grounded in science as well. Like, um, Brian Weiss's books, uh, Brian Weiss is, uh, a Columbia and Yale medical doctor, like psychiatrist. And he totally didn't believe in past lives and then started using hypnotherapy to heal patients ailments. And like, if patients had like, um, cancer in their lower back or something, he would take them back in regression and hypnotherapy to like, usually they would come up with like a memory, like I was three years old and I was abused. And then like healing that through like work with the subconscious at the hypnosis level would sometimes like spontaneously in a month, like resolve stage four cancer in people. Um, but then what started to happen is his patients started to regress back to like it's the year 1700 BC and I'm in Egypt and I am drowning. And that's like my anxiety and fear of water. And it like completely resolves in patients. And he started to get convinced that past lives are real. Um, and so I don't know if we're all just, (laughs) um, going off our rockers, but it's pretty fun to believe that music is not only aesthetically powerful and just fun, but, um, or for like human pleasure, but it can be actually powerful change-making tools to yeah. use sound. Yeah. So I love um, that my favorite thing is to sing in groups of people in harmony. And I love your music and I love the way that you and your sister sing harmony. And I just, I think there's a power in group intention setting and a power in group healing. So it is very sad to during COVID to not be able to have these live experiences of music. Mm -hmm. But I think it's still, we can still reach people with our music though. And I think Mm -hmm. that is one of the powers of like recorded music and even doing things virtually, like all this, all these things that you're talking about energy, like you know, that's kind of been a theme in in the last few episodes of this podcast. I've been talking to different healers and learning more myself just about all the energy that's out there. That's Mm -hmm. there that we can't see, but it's really powerful. And so I think that like when you are making music and you're putting it out there, it's an energy And it's a healing. I think first off, I know that when I write music, I'm sure you can relate. It's healing for me. It's like a channeling and it's cathartic and I'm channeling this emotion and these, 
these emotions and this pent up energy, I'm channeling it into something else, into these vibrational forms outside of my body. And then when someone listens, they're receiving them on the other end. So I think that, that it can be so powerful in that way. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about your album. Well, you have two albums out now. The Canary Collective Volume 1 is your first album. And you just released another album this year called The Five and Three. Yes. Right? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because from my understanding, you recorded that all yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I recorded The Five and Three um, when I had to flee my apartment in Los Angeles at the like dawn of COVID and um, I was in my trailer in Joshua tree. It's like a trailer in which I healed a great deal because it's built with non-toxic materials. And I was in the Joshua tree desert um, alone for about a hundred days, like no human contact, except like Malia came and brought me some of my medicine and we went on a walk 10 feet apart outside oh for two hours. <laughs> and you also like, didn't have internet sometimes, right? Oh yeah. Or a lot of the times. So you were like really isolated out there. I want to know, like, how did you survive that and and how did this album come about yeah um i was in a relationship a romantic relationship with someone i was really in love in love with and of our on our five-year anniversary um he broke up with me a week or two into quarantine and i i wish him well he's a wonderful person and it was absolutely the right thing to do it was I have no regrets at all. And we, he needed healing and I needed healing. It was actually the greatest gift that he could have given, but it hurt like hell. (laughs) And it was terrifying to be just left with no distractions, but myself. Mm, That just gave me chills. (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) Just that, that, yeah, being, I think quarantine for a lot of us, just being there alone with our thoughts. Yeah. can be so intense. And I can only imagine after an experience like that. So yeah, continue on. I'd love to hear about this experience. <laughs> well, you were alone too. I was, yeah, you were, you've been really strong. You've been a source of inspiration for me. Um, so I, I am not so great at, uh, I haven't been that great at being alone because I've been really terrified to be in my body because it's been a really painful place to be. But I think I, have been having more compassion for myself and staying on my own body's side. And, um, especially after the kind of gaslighting of doctors and everything, that's a whole other story. But, um, I kind of realized that being with my own self and like, even my worst fears were like coming true. Like I have a special fear of earthquakes and there was an earthquake that happened in my trailer. Also that same week, um, my cousin passed away that week. It was just a very rough week (laughs) in April. And it was like all my worst nightmares were happening. But then when you move through that and you're like, Oh, I'm still here. Like on the other side, it's very empowering. And so I, I recorded that album Um, and I only worked with women, um, artists who are people of color and, um, gender nonconforming people and queer people, um, on the album as a way of just, because I know there's just, it's really disproportionate 
like there are a lot of amazing white guys who are in the music industry, um, who are recording engineers. And I've worked with so many sweet, wonderful guys. Um, but I wanted to have a different approach to making this album. And since there, I think it's like 2% of sound engineers or people who own record labels are women. Um, so I've been trying to learn like EQing and I just did it on GarageBand. It's not the highest quality album. It's like lo-fi, but, um, yeah, I I've been, um, working on doing custom sound healing songs as well for like moving energy and different chakras and organizing different group, uh, intention setting. Like we've co-organized some canary Mm -hmm. calls for encouraging people to vote and mixing music, spiritual intention sent setting and activism has been a really fun new wave of like bringing together all the things that it's not all the problems that I've experienced. And then like really arriving at some things that I'm excited could be solutions has been really exciting. Yeah. And I just want to say the album's so beautiful and I think that it came out amazing. I was really impressed with the quality in the production of it and the songwriting, like your voice is just so it's so beautiful. And it's so like magical and, and healing and calming to hear. And I'm also just really impressed by how you were like, all right, I'm just going to like make this album and I'm just going to like do it myself. I mean, work with other people, but also you did a lot of learning yourself. Like you said, learning how to mix it and all these different things. Did you experience self-doubts in that process? And how did you overcome that to just push forward and say, I'm going to make this happen anyway? I absolutely have. I have so many self-doubts still. I think that we're really trained to think that something has to be like, you have to invest like $12,000 in it in order for it to sound good, quote unquote. And working with the sound healers, um, who are teaching me sound healing and Joshua tree over the phone was like really, really powerful. I like wiping away the doubts. Um, <gasps> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. Like <laughs> what, what is sound healing? Well, that's a very general question. Cause I'm sure there's all different kinds, but what kind of sound healing were you learning? What was that experience like? Um, you know, you see a lot of people doing sound healing from the approach of like, I have these five singing Himalayan singing bowls that are like, they're each like $500. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and I'm wearing like a white dress and I have sage and I, I'm like doing this certain like chakra music and I'm not of that approach yet. I, maybe I will be, and I'll eat my words, but I (laughs) want things to be affordable first Mm -hmm. of all. And I think there's so many barriers to people thinking that they can make art because they don't have the equipment or whatever, But even beyond art, just sound healing is like mixing intention and putting sound to it in order to move energy. Like you have a garden hose that you're spraying at a patch of dirt that you need to like clean off a carrot. And so when I do sound healing sessions, I encourage people to imagine that their voice and whatever sound is coming out of their, their voice or their instrument is like a garden hose that is clearing away the dirt off the carrot or whatever they want um, 
to manifest. And it's just like that powerful intention and it moves energy. And when I was working with the sound healing trainers and Joshua tree, they're just like, don't worry about it. It's sounding good. Like really mainly the only thing that matters is your intention. And so if you have the intention to heal your, um, your heart or like heal, um, your chronic UTIs. <laughs> I have, I have the intention that my body is healed. Um, and I feel free and light and, and clear, um, and vital and full of energy. Um, and then oh, like sing that. Wow. So there, you set the, you set the intention and then, just go for it. Like let, let the music move through you in no particular way. Yeah. And and shamanic practice is all about like, um, clearing out the stuck energy that is lower vibration first, and then filling that with the replacement of what you want. That's exactly Mm. what we can do shamanically with the world is like, what do we not want? We don't want racism. We don't want climate crises and all these wildfires. So what is the antidote? And I know you, you interviewed Malia, right. As well on your podcast. And like the perspective of Ayurvedic medicine is all about balance and antidotes and, you know, nothing is necessarily bad, but things can be off balance. And so then if there's like too much fire or like too Mm -hmm. much airy, you know, wind, then groundedness and earth is what replaces it. So similarly, if you have like an ailment in your body, these chronic UTIs or something, then moving out the energy with your sound and your voice of like intuitively the sound healer I worked with, um, her name's Char. She just says, you will know, you trust yourself. You know, when you have the intention You'll know what sound is the right Mm. thing. And Mm -hmm. every sound is perfect. It can sound terrible. It can be, (laughs) it doesn't have to be beautiful. Um, Just do what needs to be done. Mm. Shake it out, move your body, dance, and then imagine light pouring in and what you do want instead. And I, so, so powerful. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I do think that I like, I'm learning all about this stuff too. And I practice breath work sometimes on my own and I do guitar channeling on my own and, and yeah. singing sometimes. And so I really like, I feel what that's like when you have stuck energy in your body. And now I feel like I can be more aware of it. Sometimes like I'll wake up in the morning and I'll feel that anxiety or I'll feel that stuck energy and I'll know that I need to do something to release it. Yeah. And that can be singing. It can be moving my body yoga. It can be playing guitar, but there's something about that movement. Yeah. You're able to like move that energy out. That is so healing. Yes. And I think a part of me has been reticent to get into this kind of like healing new age perspective, which is really old age because this like indigenous thousands of years old practices. But like, I've been reticent because the activist in me, like I've had the goal of like impacting a large amount of people with a social movement of like Mm. rallies and marches and enacting laws that affect people like 
going upstream at the root causes of the injustices of the world. And to me, just like sitting in my bed, in my bedroom, isolated, meditating or like doing sound healing doesn't feel like it's doing anything like hopes and prayers. But a book that really changed my perspective was The Power of Eight by Lynn McTaggart. That's another situation where she's working with like Western scientists and Ivy League scientists and proving the power of intention to actually have real life outcomes that they would like take group of seeds, a group of seeds B, and they would have people from around the world get on zoom 10 minutes a day for a week and envision that group a, they had the intention that it would grow so beautifully and so strong and so fast and group a, um, really statistically significantly grew so much faster, so much stronger than the group of seeds that didn't receive the intention. Um, and then they tried it on healing people and then they have been trying it on like world events and injustices, which is a lot harder to envision. I think mixing that like intention setting and the real tools that I remember from my community organizing days, like actually tweeting a creative beautiful song with your sound healing and getting it seen by a Senator, you know, rather than just bringing a policy paper or tweeting an angry tweet at them, Mm. like write a beautiful letter or a poem and have it stand out and send a picture of yourself with, um, your mother and father who you're, who are immunocompromised and you're worried about COVID like, and mail that personalized artistic from the heart message to these people in DC who are the decision makers upstream who are so removed from their heart space and are so removed from what's going on on the ground with people who are struggling to afford healthcare and housing. So it's my vision. That's my vision Uh, for the Canary Collective. I love that so much because I feel like that I relate so much to that, like wanting action like, yeah, I want to take action now. And I want to make sure that like <laughs> what I'm doing is going to help the situation. But then also I think that the intention is so important. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've talked about in this podcast is like the reality we're living in was manifested from man, from our minds, from mm-hmm. our thoughts. Like we shape the world around us. Mm-hmm. So if we can change our vision of the world. We can create a different world, but we can't do that unless we have this vision of what we want to replace it with, like you said. And that's another thing that I've found so inspiring in your performances pre-COVID. I got to witness you um, playing on stage with a band and it was so cool. And I love the way that you would interact with the audience. And there was one song where you would always ask people to envision what they wanted in the future and to say it out loud and people would like call out different things. And I think that's so powerful is, and what I hope to do too with my music and art is like encourage people to like have hope and to have that vision. Mm -hmm. And I see, I see music and art as a tool for that. It's like a necessary tool and you're right. Both are needed, like the action, but also like the heart, like coming from the heart, I think is so important. Yeah. But it can be so overwhelming right now with the news and everything. So I, my goal with any Canary collective events that we're organizing together and otherwise is just 
do something. That's my approach to art is like something is often better than nothing. And so Mm -hmm. even if it's not perfect and you have mistakes and um, even if you can only do 20 minutes of writing one letter to a Senator in a week, and that's all you can fit in for time. And you don't know everything about the policy or, you know, you don't understand intellectually what truly to say, just you sharing your story and that you care. The members of Congress need to hear that. And that, you know, you just got to do what you can and while still taking care of yourself. Cause I know that it takes a lot to take care of yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Well, I feel like this just about wraps it up. There was one other thing that I was thinking about something you mentioned about, about your body and your healing journey and the way that your perspective has changed. Mm -hmm. And I've been on my own journey of healing with through Ayurveda diets, which I think is so, so fascinating. Um, But something I've learned recently and something that's shifted my perspective is like, I guess, forgiving your body. Mm -hmm for, for all the problems. And instead of being so frustrated and feeling like you're fighting against your body to sort of like forgive and open up and even welcome in like being accepting of your body and it's full state the way it is. And also being grateful for whatever lessons that you're learning through this journey of healing. Yeah. You know, and has that been something like that you've experienced that change in mindset? Do you feel like that has helped your healing and sort of like learning to, to accept where you're at in your journey? Absolutely. Um, a lot of the disability justice activists whom I admire a lot, like Leah Lakshmi Piepsina Samarasina is an amazing disability justice and racial justice advocate and writer. And it's like also okay to have a body that's not able to walk, <laughs> not able to sit upright in a chair. Everyone has value where they're at. And there are so many gifts of people who are immunocompromised and disabled and, um, we can just be with our bodies where they're at. And I hold that truth at the same time as also wanting to be a sort of musical Aaron Brockovich, because if Aaron Brockovich went around in her community who, whose water was being poisoned by a terrible toxin that the company PG and E was denying was happening. And she talked with all those neighbors who you know, the nine-year-old was having leukemia. Suddenly the mother was having six miscarriages. Um, their other neighbor was having a chronic cough and they're all going into the doctor's offices and they're like, you should think positive thoughts or you should, um, work on past life trauma, or mm-hmm. you should get hypnosis for like, it's because you're traumatized from sexual assault that you're feeling these symptoms that would have missed a big part of it that would have been missing a piece of it of saying, no, actually it's like pretty dang hard 
to rise up above this like very toxic poison in your water system. And it's like manifesting differently in everyone's bodies, but it's kind of connected. And so I think that's the other piece that I really want to bring in addition to like our self healing that we can do, but also thinking of the systemic ways that just ecosystem distress is hurting our bodies is like helping me have compassion for my body where it's at to say, Oh my gosh, of course you're having problems breathing and digesting things because your liver is so chock full of these toxins that companies have taken shortcuts and not been regulated and have gone and totally changed our food and water system and air. So holding companies accountable and corporations accountable and that that's a physical reality that is happening and knowing that we need to, that's a solution that I want to see is our soil being regenerated returning to investing large scale in organic farming, restoring our food system, not using pesticides in the ways that we do. Actually, there's a documentary kiss the ground, I think saying that we can really reverse a lot of climate change and like fantastic fungi with Paul Stamets um, research on how mycelium and mushrooms can really reverse a lot of this pollution and soil depletion and there's so many solutions that can happen that simultaneously help heal our bodies that I also want to advocate for. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And yeah, definitely check out those two documentaries. One is fantastic fungi. The other is kiss the ground. I have yet to see kiss the ground, but I'm hearing so much about it. I need to watch it like today. <laughs> Me too. I actually haven't seen it either, but, um, I, I started a podcast too, at the same time as you, the Canary Collective podcast. And I interviewed the, the episode is going to come out pretty soon. This guy named Jeff Katch, who works for the Rodale Institute and advocates for organic farming and soil restoration. But he has a really similar health story to me where he got Lyme disease. He got sidelined from illness, just chronic infections all the time, feeling like he had the flu all the time. And all these doctors being like, we don't know why, like <laughs> take an antidepressant. And then he was like, oh my gosh, my body is like a depleted landscape that I need to replenish um, with and like build up the ecosystems of my body, just like we need to build up the ecosystems of the land. So mm. that's why I'm like excited about this documentary, but I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll have to like you know, talk about it once we both, once we both watch it. Yeah. So people can find your podcast on all streaming platforms. Yeah. Um, yeah. I use anchor FM. So it's on anchor and Spotify and Amazon music. Uh, and, and the my, name, what's the name of your podcast? The Canary Collective podcast, pretty much just Googling the Canary Collective will pull up what you need to know. <laughs> so be sure as you're listening right now in your podcast streaming app, be sure to open it up and find the Canary Collective, subscribe. And people can also find you on Instagram, correct? At KPH and the Canary Collective. Yeah. And then we also both have Patreon in common, just this other way of, of funding artists' work as patrons with monthly support. So I'm so excited for that um, yes. being more of a norm for people. Yeah. And artists. so what is your Patreon link where people can find you there? It's patreon.com slash KPH, which are my initials. It's also like kilometers per hour. 
<laughs> I never thought about that. Amazing. So we'll link all of that in the show notes. So everyone can go and follow Kaylee and also just be sure to check her out on Instagram because she's always hosting like awesome events, virtual events that mix together activism and intention and art. We've had a few letter writing parties where we sit down and, and write letters and also play music at the same time. And those have felt so good. Like you said, it just feels so good just to like do something. Doing yeah. something feels so much better than doing nothing. So be sure to find Kaylee and follow her. And thank you so much, Kaylee, for talking with me today and, and sharing your story and and your intentions and your your vision for the future. I, I It's just so inspiring. Thank you so much, Chelsea. It was, yeah, you're so good at just listening and bring like asking deep questions. You bring this curiosity, um, which is really inspiring at the same time as you modeling, like walking your talk and really just doing a lot of things that you love to do and are passionate about consistently from like dancing and taking care of yourself to doing this podcast and doing music. So excited to continue working with you. Yeah. You as well. Well, have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you found this conversation inspiring. And if you did, I would love to hear your thoughts. I love to know that you listen to this podcast and I would love to hear what you think about the conversations. So you can connect with me on Instagram at Hello Chelsea Rose or on Patreon. You can join my dream team at patreon.com slash Hello Chelsea Rose. Thanks again for tuning in. I will connect with you all next time. Mwah.